so if you have your Bibles tonight, guys, let's uh, let's open them up to Romans chapter two. Uh, if this is your first night with us, uh, we are in the middle of our series called Justified. We're going through the book of Romans. Um, Romans is a great look at Christian theology. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the church that is in Rome, uh, and he's writing to a church that he's never been to, that he didn't establish. He doesn't know the people in the church. He just knows they're followers of Christ, and he knows that they're humans, and humans have problems, and followers of Christ need to know doctrine. So he says, I'm going to use this as an opportunity just to lay out Christian doctrine for the church, and he does, and he writes this beautiful letter to the church in Rome, and now we have it today, and it's, it's a good picture for us to look uh, at Christian theology. We started off our series a few weeks ago, uh, and, and if, if you missed any of that, and if you want to find out a little bit of history about the, the letter to the Romans, if you want to find out a little history about Paul, if you want to find out a little history about uh, the, the Romans themselves, um, we record all our sermons. They're online. You can go to uh, hcfclackamas.org, click the listen button, it'll redirect you to our SoundCloud page, uh, and you can listen to any sermon from any sermon series that we have at Hillside. Uh, just Google, or not Google, uh, SoundCloud search justified, uh, and, and it'll pull you right there. Uh, and then after we went through chapter one, Dan uh, taught two weeks ago a, a wonderful message on the first uh, 10 verses of Romans chapter two. Uh, and, and it was an amazing message. Uh, he's going to steal my job uh, pretty quick. Um, and so, yeah, super awesome. Go listen to that. Tonight we're going to be busting through Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 29. Uh, and then next week, I'm not going to be teaching because uh, another one of our amazing interns, pastor in training, uh, Josh Miller is going to be teaching on Romans chapter 3. Uh, so Josh is an amazing communicator. Uh, so come get communicated to next week. Bring a friend. It's going to be a good time. If you have your Bibles, uh, stick your finger in it because they should be in Romans chapter 2 already. Do the old proverbial, put your Bible up in the sky, wave it around. Yeah, awesome. I see those Bibles. Praise the Lord. Super good. All right. Now, now that we've gotten Pentecostal, now let's dive into God's Word uh, like a Baptist. No, I'm just messing, I'm, I'm, making, I, I'm making fun denominational jokes. Uh, that's what pastors do when they drink too much coffee before they preach. Uh, they get a little bit of caffeine. It's afternoon. I had six shots of espresso uh, just a little bit ago, and I realized I haven't eaten dinner. So it's destroying me right now, and I'm just like all over the place. So now that you're in your Bibles, to Romans chapter 2, enough of me rambling on caffeine. We're diving in. We're going to see what Paul rambled on when he was on caffeine. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many who have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by the nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Verse 17, picking up, it says this, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor to, of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man... 
uh, should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For the circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he who is a Jew uh, who is inwardly in circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word uh, reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. God, tonight, I just pray that as we uh, spend these next few moments looking at your word, the perfect law of liberty, God, that our hearts would be transformed from the inside out. Uh, God, the truths that your Holy Spirit inspired uh, Paul to write down uh, nearly 1,900 years ago, uh, those truths are the same today as they were then. Uh, God, and I pray that those truths uh, speak to us, uh, God, and that they transform us. God, I pray that they challenge us they would inspire us, uh, God, that we'd be encouraged to live more like you, to live more for you in this present age. Uh, God, I pray that none of these would be my words, uh, but God, that you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me, uh, may it fall on deaf ears or may I not be able to get it out of my mouth, but God, that your perfect word comes through. So God, we just worship you, we praise you, in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen, amen. 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 Um, how many of you guys like good old Christian cliches? I like a good Christian cliche every once in a while. Uh, I never open a sermon with a Christian cliche, uh, but not only am I going to open the sermon with a Christian cliche, uh, it's also going to be the title of, uh, of the message tonight. So if you're taking notes, which I would encourage you to do, uh, I probably sound like a record when I say this, uh, but we don't take notes because I think I have anything good to say, but because I think God's word has something good to say. Uh, if you've ever heard me say that before, uh, the truth is still the same. I don't have much good things to say, but God's word does. Uh, and if you take notes, you have a better uh, chance of remembering the things that you hear if you write them down. And then if you read them again, you're going to lock it uh, in your mind. And when the opportunity arises, the Holy Spirit will bring it back. Uh, that's not a proven formula by science. It's a proven formula by life. Uh, and so I encourage you to take notes. Uh, if you're taking notes, though, uh, after that encouragement, y'all are, uh, the title of tonight's message is Standing in a Garage. Standing in a Garage. Uh, it has nothing to do with being in a garage band, though that would be cool. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is a little bit of a challenge to Christianity. Not challenge to the theology of Christianity, not a challenge to the institution of Christianity, uh, but more a challenge towards Christians who are professing Christian faith. The cliche uh, goes something like this. Going to church does not make you a Christian, just as standing in your car, standing in your garage does not make you a car. Just killed the punchline there, but <laughs> just as standing in your garage 
or standing in your car does not make you a garage no standing in your garage does not make you a car so going to church does not make you a christian paul is writing this letter to a group of jews now you might say to yourself pastor matt i thought he was writing to the church that met in rome Now, Matt, I thought he was writing to Christians. Well, at the time Paul is writing this, Christianity is just a sect of Judaism. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Zealots, you had the Essenes, you had the Christians, the followers of Christos, or Jesus. They were called the Way. Uh, It was a group within Judaism that believed Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul's writing to them, and he writes to them, and he approaches their Judaism and their Jewishness, their Hebrew roots, uh, very, very uh, tactfully and very, very aggressively. Uh, Because Jews, Jews did not like Gentiles. Like, not at all. And Gentiles, they didn't like Jews. And as we saw uh, with, with the very first verse we opened with, verse 11 says, For there is no partiality with God. God doesn't care if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. But the Jews cared if you were a Jew or a Gentile. And Paul knows that. And so Paul is going to approach the Jews and say, hey, you need to rethink the way you live your lives. And this goes to the Christians today as well. What does Paul say? He says, hey, just because you are a Jew and you have this code, you have this law, you have the circumcision, that does not make you righteous. We're going to break that down in just a little bit, Um, but the reality is going to church, reading your Bible, knowing the Bible stories, that does not make you a Christian. We can go to Sunday school, we can be raised in the church, we can have a pastor for a father, Um, we can have uh, everything on the outside that makes us look as if we are Christian, but inwardly we could not be a follower of Christ. And so Paul is really getting at this, uh, and he's laying the foundation with this early on uh, in the letter to the Romans. And you're going to see over the next uh, few months as we go through the book of Romans why this needs to be at the bedrock, why this needs to be at the foundation uh, for who we are. This is what it says uh, in verse 13, and and this is really the heart and the meat uh, of why Paul is saying this. He says, for it is not the hearers of the law, that's the Jews, now, now let's change it to the church, for it is not the hearers of the word of God who are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the word of God or the doers of the law that are justified. You see, the Jews at this time, uh, they believed that their works saved them. They believed that uh, living according to the law uh, was going to, to save them. But it got perverted in such a way that it was, we have the law, where the people of the law became the bragging point that we're God's chosen people. All you Greeks and Gentiles, y'all are a bunch of losers. We're God's chosen people. We're saved regardless, so we can live however we want. And, and they boast in the streets about being holy and pious and rich. Uh, but then in the corners and in the shadows, they were just as dirty uh, as all the people who were surrounding them. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling them out, saying, No, it's not the hearers of the law that are saved. It's those who do the law that are justified. This isn't just unique to Paul, uh, James. The brother of Jesus actually says this. Uh, if you were to turn in your Bibles to the book of James, write it down in your notes, uh, James tells us that faith without works is dead. 
He says that we are to work out our salvation uh, with fear and trembling, that we are to do these works in order to attain or retain our salvation. But then the question could be brought up, well, doesn't that just say that works save us? But doesn't Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but through me? Doesn't Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast? And for centuries, uh, people have approached the Bible with criticism, saying the Bible contradicts itself. How does one get saved? Is it through works or is it through grace? Or is it a combination of the two? Or is it one or the other? Jesus tells us that uh, there is only one way and it's through him. So it seems as if it would be faith. But then James, the brother of Jesus, tells us faith without works is dead. So how do we reconcile these two things together? And for many, that has caused them either to question Christianity or to leave Christianity outright because it seems to be an apparent contradiction. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. Uh, there's some interesting things that Paul says when he's writing uh, this letter to the church that is in Galatia. Uh, he tells this to Peter. Uh, it says this in verse 11. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him face to face because he was to be blamed. What had Peter done? Well, the story goes like this. Peter was hanging out with some Gentiles, and he was having a good old time. He was eating meat. He was doing all this stuff. But when some Jews showed up, some of Peter's old Jewish friends, Peter stopped and started talking bad about the eating of meat that was sacrificed to idols, and he was being the good Jew, straightening his tie in synagogue, doing all that stuff. And Paul had heard about this, and Paul said, You're a hypocrite, Peter. You're not doing this right. And then he goes on to break down in Galatians chapter 2. He tells us, I just flipped away from it, but now I'm flipping back. He says this, For I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also says this in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even uh, having believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul is explicitly saying that the only way we attain salvation is through grace. Yet how do we reconcile that with what James says when he says faith without works is dead? So just like standing in a garage does not make you a car, going to church does not make you innately a Christian. Now, with that being said, uh, James is not a heretic. He's very much orthodox. And what James says actually goes hand in hand with what Paul says about grace and grace and works. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast. And when James says faith without works is dead, what James is referring to is not a works that will save us, but a works that will reflect our already attained salvation. Jesus, Jesus lived the law out perfectly. And when he died on the cross, his death, his resurrection, that sacrifice and that atonement of the shedding of the blood of Christ, he fulfilled the law for us so that 
we don't have to fulfill the law because, newsflash, the law is impossible to fulfill. If the law were possible to fulfill 100%, then the law would lead to salvation. But the law is not what saves us. Paul tells us later on in Romans, he says, the law is the tutor which leads us to Christ. It's by faith that we're justified. So, faith, the saving grace, that's what saves us. But there still has to be action as a result of that faith. And so what Paul breaks down for us and what James tells us is he says uh, it is the works that we do out of a love towards a God who saved us. If our heart has truly been changed, as Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, we who were once dead, Christ has made alive. And now that life that we live, we live by faith and that living out by faith is the doing of the good works that the world then sees. So all of that uh, to bring us back to this, what's gonna, uh, what Paul's going to break down for us uh, in verses 14 and 15. If you remember uh, a few weeks ago in chapter 1, just flip a page back uh, to Romans chapter 1, uh, we see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says this, For since the creation of the world, his, this, his being God, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. What Paul does for us is, is he breaks down uh, in the first chapter of this letter. And remember, uh, they didn't have chapters. They didn't have verses back in the day. This is just his opening line of his, uh, of his letter that he's writing. He says, man is without excuse. How is man without excuse? God has revealed himself. He's revealed his character and he's revealed his, his, his righteousness, his morals through creation so that man is without excuse. So that no man can stand before God and say, hey, I'm good, I did right, let me into heaven. Or so that no man can say, stand before God and say, hey, you never showed me what right and wrong was, so I just did what sounded good. We're told that God has made it abundantly clear so that no one can have the excuse of, I didn't know. He goes on to break down and we looked at it, uh, all the sins that God gave them over to because they were wise in their own eyes. And God chose the Jews to be a chosen people uh, who were to fulfill uh, his plan here on earth. And they were going to work out some things and he gave them a law so that they could be an example to those who were around them, the cultures and the societies around them, uh, so they could see God through the way they were living their lives. It's interesting that Jesus tells us they will know us by our fruits. So Jesus does say you will innately do good works and the world will know that you're different, that you're set apart. But the Jews begin to take this law, pervert it, add to it, and make themselves higher and mighty because of the law. And so this is why Paul, back to verse 11, says, hey, there's no partiality with God. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're Greek. He goes on to say later on in this letter, there's no male, there's no female, there's no slave, there's no master. We're all equal in the sight of God. Uh, but this is what he goes on to say in verse 14, and I think this is really important. Uh, for when a Gentile who does not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law or are a law unto themselves, those who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. 
So this is a portion of scripture that, that, that uh, I've had a lot of questions on, uh, I, I, I've wrestled with over the last few years of my life, uh, and it goes down and it, it kind of answers one of the age-old questions uh, that critics of Christianity and that those who are genuinely questioning some of the things that they believe uh, in Christianity. How many of you guys believe uh, that the Bible is true? Right? Okay, so, 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 so every hand. Uh, how many of you guys believe Jesus uh Jesus lived. Okay? It's a historical fact. Um, how many of us believe when Jesus said things, he meant what he said? Okay. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Did Jesus mean that? Yes. So the question that is asked by many, uh, many critics and many Christians will ask this question. I, I wrestled with this question for almost two years. Well, what about the people who never were able to hear the name Jesus, who were never presented the gospel. Christianity gets its main influx of growth in the first three centuries uh, of, of A.D., uh, and then it begins to spread throughout the world from there, uh, but it, it still hasn't touched parts of Asia, parts of Africa, parts of South America. Uh, some of those places weren't touched until the 1700s, or the 1800s, or the early 1900s. What happened to all those people in 1700 years, 1800 years, 1900 years of living who never heard the gospel? If God is loving, how did they not get the opportunity to experience Jesus? And so you'll get many people who criticize Christianity as the white man's religion or it's a Western uh, thing. And it's not fair because it's not all inclusive. And that was a question I asked myself. I was like, wait a minute, but what about the people in Papua New Guinea who lived the life and never had the opportunity to hear Jesus? We often forget in America that there are people who've never heard the term Jesus, who've never uh, heard, heard the term Christianity, who've never uh, heard the gospel. In, in America, our, our coins, our, our dollar bills say, in God we trust. We're like uh, just hit in the face every single day with Christianity. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of our society. The reason our work weeks are scheduled the way they are, where we have most people, most jobs have Sunday off. There's a reason that because our culture, Western society has been shaped by Christianity. So for the Western person, they're without excuse. They've been presented with the gospel from the time they were born. It's been in front of them. So they're without excuse. But what about the person who's never seen that? Well, one day I was just thinking over this, and, and I went to my dad. I don't know why I went. I, I didn't go to him right away. I waited like two years. But I was like, Dad, I, I got a question, and it's it, it's kind of a hard question I don't want to hear the answer to. Because in my mind, the answer is exactly what Jesus said. And the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me. Boom. And in my mind at the time, I was like, that just is so harsh. Well, my dad... <laughs> in, in, in his brilliance and, uh, and, and his use of scripture, which is amazing, uh, he, he took me to a portion of the Old Testament uh, where guys were asking God, God, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. God says, you know what? My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours. I got a plan that you don't know about. I was like, all right, well, that, that kind of answers the question. But I want to know more. Like, that's kind of the, the easy write-off. Oh, well, God's got a plan. Which 
now you're all looking at me like, oh man, Matt's really going in on God here. No, I'm not going in on God. Uh, God does have a plan. I'm not being flippant with that. Uh, God very much does have a plan, and God's ways are very much higher than our ways. And the more we fall in love with God, or the deeper we get in our relationship with the Lord, the more we realize, okay, man, I thought I had you figured out, God, but you continually reveal yourself to me in new ways every single day. But I still wanted more. So my dad said, all right, flip to Romans chapter 2. portion of scripture I've read many times, but probably just glanced over because uh, that's what a good Bible-raised uh, uh, pastor's kid does. They read their Bible just to read their Bible so they can eat breakfast in the morning. Uh, just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, that was a requirement when I was 12. Um, no, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Sorry if you're listening, Father. Um, but this is what it says, and this is what my dad brought me to. He, he said... Well, there's many who have sinned with the law, but there's also many who have sinned without the law. And he goes to say, For when a Gentile who does not have the law by nature does the things of the law, these, although not having the law, are now a law unto themselves, who show the works of the law written on their heart and with their conscience bearing witness. So that's man being without excuse. Their conscience is bearing witness. God has written his law on the tablets of man's heart. We have to remember that man is created in the image of God. When God created Adam, Adam is created in the image of God. There is a God spark inside of humanity. And because of sin, that has become clouded and now we live differently. But that God element is inside each and every single one of us, Christian and non-Christian. And we could really get into some very, very high theology here about how uh, God, through grace, awakens that in us. And, and, and there's a lot of theology uh, that was written during the Reformation about this. But at the end of the day, God's law, his will, his plan is written on the tablet of man's heart because man is created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 1 tells us that man is wise in his own eyes, yet is a fool. And because of that, God has let them just go over to their own thinking, further clouding his law in their heart, further making it uh, not God putting up a wall, but man continually building a wall higher and building a wall thicker away from it. But we're told here that there are some who do not have the law physical, but have the law spiritual in their heart and it makes them think about what they're doing and they realize, you know what? There's some things that my culture is doing that's probably not good. It probably goes against nature. When they look at the creation around them and they see when Romans chapter 20 says, or chapter 1 verse 20 says, God has revealed his attributes through his creation. When they begin to look at creation, they they begin to think, man, this isn't made by... 13,000 different gods, and, and, and they begin to start having these thoughts, man, there must be something different. And they look at the morality of their tribe or the morality of their culture and see if there's something wrong and they live set apart. Romans chapter 2 tells us that those who show the works of the law written on their heart, their conscience bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts either accusing or excusing them. What are their thoughts accusing and excusing them from? righteousness and so the question is then raised okay when jesus said no man comes to the father but through me what about these who didn't have me but lived 
like the righteous men of the Old Testament. Abraham, he didn't have Jesus, but he lived by faith, and his faith was accounted towards him as righteousness. And now he's the father of faith. He had faith. He received grace prior to grace being given. What about these who've never heard of grace? Are they receiving grace? You all tracking with this conundrum that's going on in my mind of, is God really as just as he says he is, or is he even juster, or more just, <laughs> making up words, more just than I can even comprehend? I'm going to go with the latter of that. God is more just than I can comprehend. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But then my dad said, he goes, this isn't theology. This isn't for sure. But verse 16 says... In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus according to the gospel. He said, Matt, what do you think about that? And I thought about it. And I was like, okay. Romans tells me that there's going to be a, a judgment where we're going to stand before God. Paul tells me that Christ uh, is the mediator between God and man. He's like my defense lawyer pleading my case on behalf of me to God the judge. So for the Christian who's put their faith in Jesus and God says, hey, why should I let you in? You're, you're a sinner. Jesus says, hey, no, no, he put his faith in me. My blood has covered his sins. So now he can enter through the door because Jesus is the door. And God says, all right, awesome. Come on into my kingdom. So then it raises this question, what if someone doesn't profess their faith in Jesus here on earth, but then when they get to the judgment, we see that the secrets of men are judged by Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, does that mean Jesus then steps in and, and started answering these or, 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 or asking even more questions that my mind can't even fathom because then it could be said, well, what about the person who doesn't choose Jesus in this life? Do they get Jesus standing on their behalf? And, and, and then the answer is very much no, because Jesus says, if you reject me before man, I'll reject you before my father. So that cuts out everyone who's ever heard the name of Jesus who just rejected him. And so it starts just asking all these questions about eternal life and eternal death and heaven and hell and who goes and what. And, and, and I just, my mind was getting to this place where I was like, I can't comprehend this. My dad said, yeah, that's the point. You can't comprehend it. Because remember what I showed you just before this. God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. We can't comprehend it. And so, to wrap it all back to this, um, I'm not God, and it's probably a really good thing I'm not God. Can Amen. you all agree that it's a good thing I'm not God? Amen. My wife was the first one to raise her hand. That is awesome. Yeah! It's a good thing I'm not God, because I can't actually understand these things. Here's the reality. It's not only a humbling part. But it's also something that I can stand on and say, I don't need to. Because no man can understand these things. We, we're not God. As much as we want to be God, because we're created in God's image, we, we have this innate desire to be God. It's a whole other sermon on uh, idolatry. We're not going to go there. Um, but we tend to try and figure things out for the purpose of saying to others, I have Christ, I'm saved, you're just a dirty sinner. Maybe not in those exact words, but we walk on the different side of the road when it comes to certain people groups because we're Christian and they're not. And we're separated because we're set apart. We're God's 
chosen people, a royal priesthood, a peculiar name. Like, we start doing the very thing that the Jews were doing here in the first century. And that's why when Paul's writing to the Jews, it transcends time, it transcends culture, because it goes right to us today. Just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. We can know every Bible story. We can tell you who Melchizedek's, who, who, who he is or where he's from. We can tell you who Methuselah was. We can tell you all the Bible stories. But if we don't do what Jesus has commanded us to, then are we actually Christians? Because it's not the hearers of the word who are justified, but it's the doers of the word. So what are some of the do's of the word? Jesus was asked, some guys came up to Jesus, because I think since the fall of man, everyone wants to question God, right? And so these guys come up to Jesus, and they start contradicting him. And they start raising up a fuss, and they say, all right, Jesus, Moses was given the law by God. It's great. There was 10 of them. We added like 463. Don't, but what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Is it don't murder? Is it don't commit adultery? Jesus goes into this whole thing about, well, you've heard it said of old that you shouldn't commit murder. But I tell you, if you look at a brother um, with hate, you've committed murder in your heart. Adultery, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That he, he breaks down that there's some weightier things of the law. But they say, all right, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, all right, um, all of the law, all of the prophets, pretty much everything you've ever known about religion is summed up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, all of the law is summed up. So going to church, knowing the Bible, doesn't make you a Christian. It's not hearing the word, it's not knowing the word, it's doing the word. So, 1 John tells us that these are the commandments of God. Love God, love people. The very next verse says, and my commandments are not burdensome. So Jesus takes this gigantic law, brings it down to these two simple things, and yet John still has to tell us, it's not that hard, humanity. Because how many of us know? We'll start with the second that's like the first. How many of you guys know it's not always easy to love people? Anyone ever met someone that's just been hard to love? Anyone ever met someone who's rubbed you the wrong way? Anyone ever been driving down the freeway and got cut off and then thought some disturbing thoughts about the person in the car in front of you? Okay, those alone, if the law were what saved us, those alone would disqualify us from salvation. Sorry to burst the bubbles. So John says, hey, it's not hard to follow God's commandment. So then it causes us to look at our lives and we realize, Wow, it actually is hard for me. My life is not in sync with the rhythms of grace. I need to get more in tune with Jesus. And so, faith, accompanied by works, leads to life. And it's because innately, as human beings, we are fallen, we can be saved, yet our nature is not to do the things of the Lord. And so we have to continually grow and allow the Holy Spirit to work on us. So he begins to replace our heart of flesh, our heart of stone, with new life. Does that make sense? Like, we, we live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with uh, opportunities to live 
in a way uh, that does not glorify the Lord. So we have to constantly be on our guard, constantly living in such a way that is pleasing to God. So the loving people part, that's hard sometimes. Loving God, well, yeah, of course, I love God. I love God. What do we do? His commandments. Do we do the things that he's called us to do? Uh, He's called us to do a lot of things. Uh, One of the biggest and most important is he said, hey, go into all the world and make disciples. Do we love God? Do we love people enough to share the love of God with people? Opens up a whole lot of questions that we're not going to dive into fully tonight. Uh, But what Paul is saying to the church here in Rome is there is a life that is prideful, that says we have the law, we have this faith, we have salvation, and those don't. God says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about people being loved because God loves people. And it's not our goodness that saves us, but it's our faith in the grace that God has given us that saves us. But because of that, we're going to do these works. So to the person who says, uh, I'm a good person, God, I, I've died, I'm a good person, let me into heaven. Well, God says, no, the law is going to judge you. And then if it was a person who didn't have the law, it is your conscience that is going to judge you. No man has the excuse. Let's just break this down. Simple. It's a simple evangelistic tactic. When you're out, uh, that makes it sound really... Uh, devious. Uh, it's a great evangelistic tool, uh, tactic. It just sounds so uh, attacking. Um, so there's a lot of people in this world who say they're good people, right? I mean, how many of us, in all honesty, uh, I've, I've set us all up. If you raise your hand, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. But how many of you think you're a pretty good person? Like, like you just look at society around and you're a pretty good person. Right? Yeah. Uh, thank you for the honesty. Thank you for the honesty. Yeah, I, I know I know most of you guys. We're pretty good people. We're told that even our righteous, our, our most righteous of acts, our, our, our best deeds are still filthy rags to the Lord. It's only through his blood. But that's not what I'm talking. Um, there are people who say, hey, I've lived a good life. God should let me in. If there is a heaven, if there is a hell, I am a good person. I should go to heaven. But Paul tells us, that's awesome. You think you're a good person? Let's let the law judge you. So who wants who, who wants to be my example? This, this is going to be a little interactive time. Who wants to come up here and say, Levi, get up here. This is awesome. Uh, thank you, Levi. Everyone give it up for Levi. Woo! Woo! Levi Field, everyone. I had a thick lunch, so just go easy on me. All right. Do any, like, finesse things or anything like that. <laughs> so Levi, let's say Levi is uh, just... Guy on the side of the road, hasn't put his faith in Jesus. Uh, And Levi says, uh, I asked him the question, Levi, if there's heaven and a hell uh, and God is just, where should you go? You say, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You should go to heaven. Yeah, you should go to heaven. Okay, so you're a good person. That's right. Levi, have you ever, have you ever lied? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) one time, two times, a hundred times. In your lifetime, how many times have you lied? Just. Once or twice. Oh, okay, okay. Awesome, awesome. Uh, he's lying right now. Go figure. <laughs> so, so, so Levi, you yes. lied. Yes. What do you I have, call yeah. someone who lies? Um, a liar. Okay, okay, yes. a liar. Yes. Uh, Levi, have you ever s- stolen anything? 
Any time in your life. Yes. I, I just heard testimony that you stole a ring pop. Okay, um, that doesn't even count. Okay, so 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 so. It's a piece of candy. So Levi. Yes, yes. So Levi. I stole a ring pop. You got me. So Levi, someone who steals. What do you call someone who steals? A thief. A thief. So, okay. Um, Levi, have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Like, have you used the, the yeah. God's name as a cuss word? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Bible says that using <laughs> that using the Lord's name uh, as yeah. a cuss word that's blaspheming the name of the Lord. Okay. Oh. Uh, so, so look at our list right now. Good guy, right? Good guy. Liar, thief, blasphemer. Okay. Uh, the Bible says, uh, ha- have you? Uh, if you've looked at someone with lust in your eyes, uh, then you're adulterer. Uh, Levi, are you an alien that's never lusted? Okay, so so according to that, uh, you're an adulterer at heart. Have you ever had hate in your heart towards someone? I've been bitter. Yeah. <laughs> so according to Jesus, you're a murderer. So by your own confession, yeah. you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, an adulterer, a murderer. <laughs> we just kind of undercut his good person. Give it up for Levi. He, he was a good example. But I'm a really good person. <laughs> <laughs> Levi is. He's a good guy. But you see that. You, you see that. The, 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 the defense of I'm a good person is very easily undercut by the law because the law reveals to us how fallen we truly are. That's why Paul says the law is the tutor that leads us to Christ. The law is the lens by which we look through to realize we are so unholy that we need a holy God to come and make a way for us to attain salvation. It's atonement, Jesus coming, dying on the cross for us. So if God is a just God, should he send an unjust person to heaven? No. Justice would say there should be punishment. So the the next defense could be, well, I used to do those things. I'm a good person now. Okay, that'd be like the person standing before the judge and say, well, yeah, I used to murder. I don't do that now. That was my past. Which was going to say, yeah, but you still did it. So you have 25 to life. You could say, well, I repented of those things. It's all good. Repentance in and of itself, does not save us. We can say, yeah, I sinned, I messed up, I'm sorry. But that's not saying, Jesus, I need you to come be the Lord of my life. Not only is God our Savior, but he's the Lord of our life. That means he sits on the throne of our heart, and, 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 and the way we used to do things, those get changed. Because the Holy Spirit's working on us. The only way to attain salvation is through Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our works, lest any man should boast. So, verse 17, all that, how am I doing time-wise? It's already been 45 minutes. We're on track for two hours, Ben. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 17 says this, and I'm actually going to wrap up. Uh, I was just joking. I'm really not going for two hours. We're going to wrap up here in 10 minutes. Uh, He says this. uh, Indeed, you are called Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. This could be read to us today. Indeed, you are called Christian and your rest 
is in the Bible, you make your boast in God, and you know His will, and are approved the things uh, that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are counterfeit, that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge, the truth and the law. Uh, Christians can use Christianity to put partiality between saved and sinner, which is, is not in God's economy of things. Christians contend, and I'm not bashing Christianity, I'm not bashing the church. Uh, the church is an establishment of God. Uh, it, Jesus died for the church. I'm not bashing Christianity uh, because because that that's God's bride, you know. But there are people who profess Christianity, who use Christianity as a bludgeoning weapon against people who are not Christians, and that's a bad representation of the gospel because there's no partiality with God. And salvation is for all people, all who believe. Christians will tend to point out some sins as being evil. And, oh, they're the grossest people on the planet. Yet, they're okay with some little sins that take place inside the church. Oh, those are just little sins. Sin is sin. And all sin separates us from God. It's only faith in Jesus. And so what Paul goes down and he breaks this down, verse 25 to 29, he says, uh, Jews, not only do you have the law, you have the circumcision. you got physical evidence that you are God's chosen people. But Paul says, I tell you this, that even an uncircumcised person, if they follow the law... There's circumcision in their heart. It's a spiritual, it's a spiritual thing. Got Timothy and Titus, two Gentiles who give their heart to Jesus. One, as, as a young man, goes and gets circumcised because he thinks he has to. The other one's just a few months later, and there's been this big debate in Jerusalem, and, and they say, uh, no, 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 you don't have to be circumcised anymore. It's a spiritual thing. So Titus gets kind of lucky at, um, as opposed to Timothy. But what Paul is saying is he says, hey, circumcision, an outward thing, it's actually an inward thing. And the outward is just an example of the inward, but I desire that we all are circumcised in the heart that God has has cut us and, and has peeled back the flesh of our heart and replaced it with his Holy Spirit so that it's the gospel that radiates from us and the good news that radiates from us is put uh, to work as we go out and spread it. Faith without works is dead. What was James getting at? This is what I'm closing with. Faith without works is dead. There were many Jews who converted to Christianity who were just okay hiding in their homes and waiting for, waiting for Jesus to return. And James is saying, no, that's not what he commissioned us to do. Faith without works is dead. I have called you to go into all the world and to make disciples. That faith is alive. Not only is that faith alive, but that faith is powerful. What does Jesus say as he's ascending? It's recorded for us by Luke in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witness. 
go out, witness, go spread what you have seen, what you have heard. The apostles, that very word apostle in the Greek is translated the sent out ones. It's not idle faith. It's not sitting. It's going. And that's that's kind of the, the crux and the, the main point uh, of these last 47 minutes and 55 seconds is there is action that comes with true conversion. Action comes when there's true conversion. If you've put your faith in Jesus and you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, your life will represent that. Your life will show it. People will know who who you are and whose you are by your fruit. We will bear fruit. So just like standing in a garage does not make you a car, sitting in a church pew does not make you a Christian. We have to be people who are being transformed daily. That's why Paul says, I pick up my cross daily and follow. Follow. It takes action. And it's not just I pick up my cross on Christmas, on Easter. No, he says daily. It's an everyday thing. There is works in our faith. They don't save us, but I would say in some ways they retain us. Mm -hmm. They keep us on track. Jesus goes on to tell us that they will know who you are uh, by your fruits. We are to be people who bear fruit. And those who don't bear fruit, the Father will do some pruning. Doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means he's going to cut back some things in your life that maybe are hindering you from growing. Mm. That's That's a good good thing. It's good when God prunes us. It's good when God humbles us. But it can also be very painful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that pain... Actually, all times that pain is good in the long run. But what if we were to live a life where we didn't have to be pruned? What if we were constantly bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, bearing much fruit? I think in an ideal world, that's where Jesus would want everyone who puts their faith and professes, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's where he wants us to be, people who bear fruit. Now, back to the thing we said at the very beginning. We're all human. None of us can fulfill the law. None of us can always 100% of the time be bearing fruit. Sin, the flesh, it still will rear its ugly head. That's why Paul says, I mortify my flesh. I beat my flesh into submission. Some monks actually took that literally, and they would spend hours whipping themselves, beating their flesh, trying to work out the sin. I'm not going and saying... Go home, take off your belt, and start whipping yourself in the back. That's not what Jesus was getting at. But Jesus does say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than go to hell fully there. It's a different sermon for a different time. I'm not going to tell you to go cut your hand off or gouge your eyes out. I'm just going to say, faith without works is dead, but it's not the works that save us. It's the works to continually spur us on and remind us of our salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you. Um, God, we thank you that there is no partiality with you. Uh, I dare say that if there was partiality and if the Jews were your only chosen people, none of us would be in this room today. Uh, None of us would be able to have communication with you. God, we thank you for, for dying, not just for the Jews, but for us as well. And God, we thank you that it is through your son that we can have salvation. 
We thank you that it is through your Son that the door can be opened for us to enter into heaven. And God, I just pray that each and every single one of us, as we profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that you are God and that you are raised from the dead, um, God, I pray that that faith and that saving grace that we receive from you, God, I pray that that would spur us on to good works and that our faith would be evident by the good works that we are doing, not in and of ourselves because there's none good, no, not one, saving you, God. But because of your goodness in us, we would do these good works. And God, that your word and your Holy Spirit would spur us on. God, I pray that you would use us to spur each other on. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. A brother was born for the times of adversity. Uh, we are to spur each other on for the good works of the gospel. God, I pray uh, that we would not just be people aimlessly standing in a garage hoping that we would spontaneously generate a transmission and a motor, uh, a few tires and some wheels. Uh, God, I pray that we wouldn't be people who sit in the pews of church crossing our arms saying, well, we know the word. Those sinners out there don't. Expecting to get to heaven. God, I pray that we'd be people who get off the pews and go out into the world, to the highways and the hedges, and to compel people to come. Compel them. God, that was your mission. Jesus, you said, I do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is to seek and save the lost. God, I pray that our faith would be evident by our willingness to be obedient to you, to seek and to save the lost. God, forgive us of the times where we have been prideful, Help us be more humble. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to bear fruit. God, forgive us of the time where we have been unfruitful. God, we welcome your pruning. We welcome your humbling. And God, we're excited for the seasons of growth, for the seasons of productivity and resourcefulness. God, I pray that, that this group um, that this church, Hillside Christian Fellowship, your church, uh, God would be known as a group that is alive, that is bearing fruit, whose, whose, whose grace and whose faith is evident by works, that this community would look at your church and see your people living out your life. That just like there in Antioch where they were first called Christians because they were little Christs, that that would be God, the reputation that we have. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. amen.